watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes the binge. binge. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca I want to talk about my Christmas break, really. Oh, <laughs> sorry, did I interrupt you, Rebecca? I was <laughs> yeah. just going to talk about my Christmas break. We'll get what to, were you saying? We'll get to that. Oh, I'm sorry. Was I sorry? It's these interruptions. Uh, I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to take a look at three new movies. A Monster Calls, Patterson, and Julieta. And as always, we're going to rate them on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Jason. Yes. What's up with you, man? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I tried saying before, before you interrupted me. <laughs> I, I really have a problem. <laughs> uh, guys, we are referring to a newly acquired one-star iTunes review that we got today that put me on blast for interrupting Rebecca too many times. <laughs> so we are just having a little laugh about that, and I will continue to interrupt her at my usual pace. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's um, changing. Yes, the review headline was actually... Could he possibly interrupt her more than he already does? And I, I'm happy to try to find out. So Can't wait to see what happens. We're in it together. Um, well, you know, guys, we are just back from the holidays. And uh, I was back in Pennsylvania, in Pittsburgh, with Scott, seeing my family for a week, seeing lots of great friends, lots of great supporters of our show. And um, I will say that on Christmas, I did watch a movie with my family. <laughs> Oh, did you? What movie did you see? That movie may have been Fences. <laughs> <laughs> after oh, after my raspy that. after my raspy screams in protest um, in our Fences review, when Rebecca had the gall to suggest that families go to see it on Christmas, I watched it with my family on Christmas. Um, to be fair, we did not go out to a theater. That is what sounds ludicrous to me—just the vision of like packing up the minivan and going to the theater and going to see Fences. That sounds just ridiculous, but. We just watched my Oscar screener, me, Scott, and my mom. And we only watched it because it took place in Pittsburgh. Otherwise, I would never have made her watch it. Um, but uh, we did do that. And I am a hypocrite. So <laughs> I'll just state that for the record. New year, new you. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then, it, of course, as it was for all of us, it was just a long, horrible week marked by death after death. Um, it was especially hard on the gays since all three celebrities who passed were gay icons. And then it all ended with Mariah Carey being disgraced on national television. So what more could you ask for? 2016 ended the way that it really was throughout the entire year, which was just punishing the gays. Um, because really, I mean, Bowie, Prince, these are our icons mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right to the end, pain, pain and suffering. But here you are. But here I am. It's a new year, and it's a new me, and I have a one-star review now, which is something I didn't have in 2016. <laughs> so 2017's already finding new ways to take things from me that I already had last year and had not yet had taken from me. So kudos, 2017, you shady fox. You're already on top of it. Um, a real go-getter, that 2017. It is. You know, like, it was laying in wait, and it had a strategy, and mm -hmm. it's like a like a like an excellent reality show contestant, uh, <laughs> which is biding its time was getting the lay of the land so it could really have maximum impact. Just sunk its teeth right into you, week one. It did, it did. Um, speaking of things that sunk their teeth into me week one, Rebecca, uh, what's up with you? <laughs> <laughs> um, same, same, you know, had the break. Um, I actually watched a really great film that we didn't get a chance to discuss in the podcast, so I thought we could take a minute here and discuss it. Um, Christine. Christine. Uh, you saw this one. Um, I saw it at TIFF. Uh, and I saw it over the break. What a movie. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, this movie is um, the story of Christine Lubbock, who was Christine Chubbuck, um, an on-air reporter in uh, Sar- no, Sarasota. Sarasota in the seventies. Who um, in the eighties? I hate you so much, <laughs> uh, Jason. What? What? Tell us about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, guys, we have had like 25 minutes of bloopers trying to get just this far in the <laughs> discussion of Christine, which is very weird because it's a very somber movie, but very. I guess it's given us the church giggles. It's actually not even that somber of a movie. It has a really dark kind of perverse sense of humor to it. Um, but so as I believe Rebecca was attempting to mention, uh, <laughs> it was the story. Christine is a story about a woman named Christine Chubbuck who was an on-air reporter in Sarah uh, Soda. <laughs> it was cut in my head. Um, and who famously in the 70s shot herself in the head on live TV and later died from that injury. And, um, and so the movie uh, stars Rebecca Hall um, as well as Michael C. Hall um, and a few other people, Timothy Simons. Mm-hmm. Um, Tracy Letts. Um, <clears throat> so it's a, it's just this really, really um, compelling character study. It gets under your skin because it's it makes you so uncomfortable. The way that Christine Chubbuck... I'm sorry, I'm out of breath because I've been like wheezing for 25 <laughs> minutes in these bloopers you guys aren't going to hear. Never going to hear. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, so the movie sort of depicts Christine Chubbuck as this almost sort of Todd Salon's uh, heroine mm-hmm. who just is incapable of having any sort of meaningful social interaction with the world or even understanding social cues. Mm -hmm. Um, Like she's just hopeless. Um, But she wants so badly to succeed and to become like a a national anchor. Right. Uh, A serious reporter. Yeah, a serious reporter. She, you know, takes what she does very seriously, has a lot of pride in it. Um, But, you know, there's a combination of things that get in her way. Um, You know, first of all, there's just her sort of personality Mm -hmm. disorder. Um, And also she is kind of born too soon in terms of being a, a woman in the workplace who really knows what she wants and kind of is, she's, she's tactless in a way that for men in the same generation would not be perceived of as much of an issue. Yeah, it's it's not seen as strength or like a sign of of, in, of integrity because that's a lot of what her work ends up. The other obstacle she runs into is that she takes a lot of pride in her work and wants to do uh, reporting that has substance. But uh, the station that she's at is looking for ratings, so they're looking for uh, gory right. accident this scenes, is... and she's looking for slices of humanity. Yeah, and this is sort of it's it's framed as being sort of at the beginning of that moment whenever that's what mm-hmm. news became about was you know if it bleeds it leads and um and she you know very strongly uh, resists that and um kind of fights against it and ultimately when she does shoot herself on the air it's intended and she frames it as a commentary on like oh this is what you want then I'll give it to you mm-hmm. and this is um. It's like a holy grail of like the dark web of uh, of people who uh, love gory videos. Oh right, right. Um, but as far as like the official report is that like it does not exist in the web, and it's something no. that some people have been obsessed with for so long that you'll find people who say, "Oh no, I've seen it," but just because they've thought about it for so long, they can like picture it in their heads, like, they "No, no, I've seen, seen it. it," but they haven't. And there's like one copy, and it's like on a videotape in the safe of like the widow of the guy who owned the station or something like that. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, so, but anyway, it's directed by Antonio Campos, uh, who, uh, previously made a really interesting film called Simon Killer. And, 
Uh, I mean, Rebecca, what else? What did you really, you know, dig about it? Um, Rebecca Hall's performance is just so unnerving and so strange. Mm -hmm. I've talked about other movies how it is done in a way that isn't respectful, or it seems like it's showy, or um, it's it's just taking a, a, a look at her life and and just didn't you you mentioned that like people who had seen her performance mm -hmm. had said that it was uncanny how similar it was to the real person yeah there was some article in the new yorker where somebody uh sort of came out of the woodwork and, and got in touch with uh the director and with the screenwriter to be like yeah this is this is sort of the essence of who she was and how she was and you know rebecca hall only had so much footage that she could study to sort of um you know become this woman mm. oh right and yeah. um you know but she i remember at tiff at a different screening i think it actually may have been a screening of a monster calls which we will be reviewing shortly this um i was reviewing like the earliest sort of like oscar prediction talk um reporting from the hollywood reporter and this guy who I didn't know just like some fucking movie nerd like turns around and is like and is rebecca hall on their list for best actress for christine and i was like you're like, all right, weirdo. I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm like, respect celebrity privacy. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I was like, no, 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 she's not. And he's like, and this is exactly the problem because, you know, it's this echo chamber and it feeds itself and this is a performance that should be in there. And, da, 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 da. and I'm just like, dude, like, let's be honest. Because I hadn't seen Christina at that point, but I was like, the movie's too small, man. It's not going to make it. And he's like, if that thinking, that means it never will. And, and like, um, go for it for vote for Bernie. Exactly. It's like go be the problem, dude. But um, but, <laughs> but I, I mean I could see but now it. having seen it, I could I'm just totally like, oh, see it. I mean, if it, in a perfect world, she would unquestionably be nominated the mm -hmm. Oscars. And here's the real kick in the puss is that she got snubbed by the Spirit Awards. Oh really? Which is madness Made for small movies. Madness that they didn't even nominate her the Spirit Awards. Mm -hmm. It is it it it's offensive. <laughs> it's just offensive. Boycott the Spirit Awards this year. They should have, uh, <laughs> even though they're having Nick Kroll and John Mulaney host, which I mean, obviously, will be delightful and we'll all watch. But in theory, I'm also boycotting them because they fail to recognize this performance. But anyway, Christine um, is going to be available to rent on iTunes uh, this month. and mm -hmm. I... Yeah. So definitely check that one out. Um, yeah. That was, that was uh, of the movies we've seen recently. That's one that really stood out to me. Yes, that Rebecca watched while she was homesick with a sickness that I probably gave her during one of our last episodes. Yeah, I was definitely proofing that episode, and uh, and you were like, "I'm sick," and I'm like, "I'm a perfect bill of health." And then the next day, I was just like hacking into my onto my keyboard. So <coughs> thanks, we, hubris. And here we are, several weeks later, still hacking, still sick. Um, so shall we get to movie number one? Let's movie do number it. one, yeah. which is a monster calls. A young boy seeks the help of a tree monster to cope with his single mother's terminal illness. How does the story begin? Was the boy too old to be a kid? You're coming to live with me. Don't touch anything. Too young to be a man. I no longer see you. <laughs> what did he do? Well, I can tell you that this is the only movie at TIFF this year that I walked out of. But not because it was bad. Not because it was bad, but because I just was in no mood. Um, I did Ooh, not. Oh, you were in no mood for this movie. <sighs> mm -mm -mm, no. 
I had just come from <clears throat> um, seeing nocturnal animals and arrival back to back. Oh, you were wiped. I was wiped. I was wiped with awesome um, with two movies that I <laughs> had just seen for the first time that I would end up putting both on my top 10 of the year list. And, you know, both of those movies are so just sort of like awesome and mature and powerful. And I did not know A Monster Calls was going to be a, I didn't know it was based on a kid's book, which mm. it is. And I did not know that it was basically going to be a sort of like a family fantasy parable. Um, I was just like, nope. And uh, in, in, you know, I knew it was directed by J.A. Bayona, who previously made The Orphanage mm-hmm. and The Impossible. And I knew that it starred Felicity Jones and Sigourney Weaver. So based mm-hmm. on those things, I was like, sure, sign me up. I'm in. Um, but then watching it, I was like, oh, God, this is just awful. I was like, this is just really obvious and ponderous and 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 you know and it, it was you know there's this framing in the movie where there's this tree monster who's voiced by Liam Neeson who keeps just like showing up at this kid's house at night and like forcing him to listen to these stupid stories <laughs> and I was like I don't care and the fact when he was like you know he's like I'm going to tell you three stories and then you'll tell me one and we're like watching the first story I'm like oh god I've sit through two more of these fucking things and I was like looking at my phone and I see when work emails coming in. I'm just like, ah, shit. All right. I'm just like, I, I waited. I waited a full hour. Hmm. Um, and then I was like, this is not going to fucking get any better. I'm like, I know I can see where it's going. I'm out. And so I went back to my hotel and I, you know, tweeted like, oh, I just walked out of monster calls, whatever. And all the people were like, oh no, I thought it was going to be good. I'm like, raspberry. Um, and then later that night, I ran to some people who, um, from my work who had stayed and I was like, I'm like, Oh God, that movie get any better. And they looked at me like I was Satan himself standing in front of them. And they were like, what do you mean? I'm like, I walked out. It was awful. And they're like, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you? And like, what was happening when you left? And I described it and they're like, yeah, basically, the exact second after you left is when it just got so unbelievably powerful and so amazing, and we're soul crying, yada, yada, yada. So, and I will say, now having watched the second half of the film, mm-hmm. I did leave right before all that stuff happened. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, you know, it's always life, isn't it? And, uh, and uh, you know, you just can't fight it. Like, the second you leave is, like, the second before everything starts to get great. But yeah, don't ever leave anywhere. That's that's what I took away from this. I if took only his mother story. had listened. <laughs> if only... Um, so now having watched it, I have a, a, a slightly better appreciation for it. Although not, I should say, for Sigourney Weaver's English accent. Oh, right. Whoa. That was weird. That was so, that was tough. Stories about this little boy in England whose mother is dying of a terminal illness. And um, he's bullied in school. His father isn't around. Sigourney Weaver's his grandmother who's coming in and kind of take, trying to take care of him and, and what's left of their house and family um, as... His mother is really um, fading fast. And as Jason mentioned, he's suddenly visited by this tree monster who comes to tell him three stories in exchange for one story. Um, and so you basically, the, the time frame of this movie is like the last week or so, month maybe, of his mother's life. Um, and it's Spoiler kind of. Spoiler alert. I mean, I don't really feel like that's. It's a kid. A movie. question. Anything could happen. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that the good part of this movie is that. It tries to teach lessons about the ambiguity of what is good and what is bad. He sort of presents these stories to this boy, you know, these, these kind of fairy tales about kings and princesses and um, 
pastors and um, apothecaries and things. Uh, under yeah. the then the guy he like tells the story and the boy's supposed to think, well, that's the bad guy and this is the good guy. And then he sort of like unveils the next step of the story, which just just trying to teach this kid that like things aren't always black and white and clear about what is good. Uh, the problem with that is that those stories are kind of mirrored against different parts of the boy's story that don't really tie closely. Like mm-hmm. as he's approaching uh, either, I couldn't even quite tie it together. It's like where his grandmother comes into town and his father also comes into town. Mm-hmm. And then he's told the story by the tree monster about this, um, this lovely prince and this woman and blah, blah, blah. But you don't quite understand what in his life the story is referring to. And there, it's like one of those things where it's close enough to, that you're you're kind of left questioning, but it, the the line isn't clear. So you're mm-hmm. sort of at the end of each of these stories, are super confused about why he's telling them to this boy. He just yeah. seems like he's harassing him. It does. It and does. At the end, it it takes the end, a very long time to reveal the full thing. Mm-hmm. Some might say too long. I would say. Yeah. Um, and here is, I think, my main issue with the movie, like all, all you know, whatever unevenness that I thought that it had aside. Mm-hmm. My main problem is, like, who is this movie for? Right. It's too adult for children. Way too, especially emotionally, because oh, yeah. it does, when it does get into this final act, it is pummeling yes. emotionally. And did you cry? Yeah, I cried. Yeah. I almost, like, I was watching, you know, the second half of it on, like, a monitor at work, and I was, like, even at work, we're kind of, like, distracted looking at my work email on the other monitor. I was, like... Oh my god, it's um, really brutal. And I'm a sucker for a mother son story too. Um, so that was getting me. And yeah, I mean, like, but it doesn't does it does it earn that finale? Does it earn the emotions of that finale? I mean, I feel like that was a, it was a wonderful lesson. I mean, being mm-hmm. I mean, should we spoil it? I don't think we need to spoil it um, because I mean, kind of is the whole it's part of the emotional experience of watching the movie yeah, is having that's that true. all all everything kind of come into focus in that finale, but. I guess you could say a monster calls is similar to inside out um, yeah, yeah. in the sense that these are both these sort of like parables, these allegories about children going on difficult emotional journeys mm-hmm. um, where they learn hard lessons about like that. Sometimes things are sad mm-hmm. and that you just, you know, sometimes you just need to be able to name a thing. Right. You need to be able to say the sad thing. Um, and being true to your emotions. Right. And, and as, instead of trying to run from it or trying mm-hmm. to be in denial about it. Yeah. Um, the other thing I didn't like about this movie is the tree monster. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I'm, we've seen, you know, we've seen, I've seen more children's movies this year than I have, you know, probably in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and even compared to like the BFG, uh, which has another in scale, yeah. uh, like size wise, um, equivalent monster. I just felt like th- it was framed oddly. There'd be, there'd be the shot where it's like kind of a far shot and you see the boy, you know, his full body. And then the monster just kind of like sidles up next to him with this <laughs> giant face. It was really silly. I, it was really bizarre. <laughs> like, oh, hi. <laughs> he kind of like slides into frame with his <coughs> giant tree face. Except for it's Liam Neeson, so it's, oh, hi. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no, I don't want to talk to you right now. Too bad, it's time for your second story. <laughs> yeah, it's very insistent. I don't know, that was, that was strange. Have a certain special set of skills involves telling stories to young boys. <laughs> Who don't want to hear it, but their yeah, moms are dying, so they've got that. to hear it. I was waiting for that kind of the whole time. Yeah, um, and the tree, just like CG wise, not great, is cartoonish, and it's like it doesn't. 
you know, you see some animation and like really you're like, wow, that's like a thing I never imagined it could look like that. And mm-hmm. it's like the beauty of an artist being able to open up like their mind to you. But this is like the tree is kind of like has these like fire accents that don't make any sense. Like why mm-hmm. would there be a fire in a tree? Um, I just thought yeah. that was kind of weak. And like yeah. every time he emerged, it was the sort of looked the same. You, I mean, when you're making a monster like that, that could look like anything. It was really yeah. a letdown. It, it gets tiresome because you hear the rumbling. Yeah. And, and there's like a it's 30 really, second reveal. Yeah, of, you're like, oh, here, okay, it's the tree. We got it. <laughs> we Who could that exactly. be? Exactly. It's not Bruce Valange dropping by <laughs> to punch up the script. You know, it's the tree coming in, and we know. So let's just bring in the tree, please, <laughs> and get the next story out of the way so we can get to the conclusion of what this is all going to be about. Conversely, I really enjoy the animation of the stories. They're kind of done mm. through these like watercolor animations. Yeah. They're, they're really beautiful. Uh, but the stories themselves fall really flat. Um, yeah. Just as little parables. So yeah, if it was like a ten minute short, <laughs> yeah, it would be great. Yeah, I could see that. And the, you know, and the boy is great. Oh yeah, um, the boy is and great. Felicity Jones is. You know, guys, you might Felicity Jones now is going to be kind of a, a, a an A list name. And she already already was A list, but now she's kind of also on the verge of being as household name because she's the lead of Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And um, and so if you discovered her in Rogue One, um, then I think well, first of all, where have you been? <laughs> and uh, and also, this is a terrific performance from her. I think I would not have been mad to see this end up in some supporting conversations because mm-hmm. she brings a lot of just powerful but authentic emotion and uh, you know grit to the character. Uh, but Sigourney Weaver, on the other hand, wow, woof, yeah, she was having a tough tiff uh, between <laughs> between this and uh, and the. Um, the trans hitman movie with oh. Michelle Rodriguez that she was did also in. Did that happen? In. Did that get released? It has not come out yet, okay. no. Um, but uh, I did see it. So don't worry, guys. I'm on top of that one. What are you giving a monster calls? Mm, I'm going to give it a consume moderation. Um, I still don't know who it's for because like we were saying, it's too adult and mm-hmm. way too hard-hitting emotionally for kids. I can't imagine a kid I think a, a child would be traumatized. I feel like you're traumatized you're by this movie. too young to understand it at all. Yeah. When you can't understand it, and your parents are alive, that must be a terrible way to be introduced to the idea of that. If your oh, parent, God. if you lost a parent, that would be the worst movie to bring a child. There's really... Yeah, who is it for? I, I don't really know. don't know who it's, it's for. It's not for adult animation or like no. CGI fans. No, and it's too kind of simplistic and like child book based for a lot of adult audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess it's for like, I mean, there are certainly a lot of adults who enjoy like, you know, young adult fiction and, and kids yeah. stories. <laughs> you know, I know. You know your thing. So I think they, they might like it. And also anyone looking for just like a deep, cathartic fucking sob. Yeah. Yeah. This movie will deliver that for you. Yeah. I think, I think we can probably pretty much guarantee. But uh, yeah, it's just it just ends up in this weird middle place. And as such, it gets my middle grade of consume and moderation. <laughs> same, same. Consume, maybe consume minus. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite, it's not atrocious enough to send it back, but it's not, it's not quite something I would carve out time for. Yeah, no, it's, it's a letdown. Um, <laughs> sometimes, you know, we have our list of like what the movie is, the description and the re- and the rating, and I had moved on to the next rating, so I was about to say it's rated R for some language, which would be <laughs> even more alienating exactly for the audiences. When the tree's like, yuck, you're being a bloody cunt, you kid. And you're like, oh my God, I know it's British or whatever, but geez. <laughs> so loose there. Oh, it's actually rated PG-13 for thematic content and some scary images. Um... But PG-13 doesn't even quite feel severe Yeah, enough. exactly. And that's also like a perfect middle rating. I'm like, who is it for? <laughs> because young kids aren't watching PG-13. It's rated question mark for who knows. <laughs> right. Uh, for Bermuda number, Triangle. Movie number two is Patterson. 
a quiet observation of the triumphs and defeats of daily life, along with the poetry evident in its smallest details. Your poetry is really good, and someday you might let the world read it. <laughs> you are a great poet. I go through trillions of molecules that move aside to make way for me, while on both sides, trillions more stay where they are. Patterson. 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 The poetry of Patterson. More like Patterson, am I right? <laughs> um, so Patterson, new release by Jim Jarmusch, starting at, starring Adam Driver, who is actually in a very non-Adam Driver-like performance. Yeah, yeah. Talk talk more about that. I think that came up when we were talking about silence and you were talking about like the Adam Driver type. Yeah, the Adam Driver type is frustrated, angry, always on the verge of like a tantrum. Very emo. Quite emo. Still a little, a little emo here. A little, where's the, where is it when emo and aggro kind of overlap? Mm. Emogro? <laughs> is that how... <laughs> M grow. I'm always scared when I when I put two words together that it's going to turn out to be something I didn't mean to be racist, <laughs> but I think I'm safe with that one. Then we'll just start tagging that disclaimer at the beginning of every episode. Um, you're like Rebecca does not mean to be racist. Comments might be construed as right. Um, like, and if they come from Rebecca, they're not. They're just not. I'm just going to put that blanket down. I can't. I don't have a blanket. Blankets down. Um. So yeah, Snuggies in this performance, he, he's very subdued. Um, there's, it's not even under the surface in, in the way that it always is right up at the top of the surface. Mm. Um, it's completely, it's completely different. Yeah. It was refreshing. It's a, it's a great performance from him. I think, uh, I think that he gets the tone that Jim Jarmusch wants mm-hmm. because this is, I mean, there are small moments movies <laughs> and then there's like micro moments movies. Yeah. And I think this one is a little bit more of a micro moments movie. Um, and I will say, okay, I watched a screener of this at home and guys don't watch this at home. No. Dear God, don't watch it at home. Or like turn your, turn your cell service off first. To yeah. Prevent like go to your panic room. If you're going to watch it, go to your panic room where you have no reception because holy shit, will you have a million ideas come to mind of things you need to do? <laughs> Uh, Which is what this movie is about. It's reminding you of the little things in your life that you need to get done. The little patterns of things that you've forgotten. I know. And I will say that, like, while I was watching it, I wasn't thinking, I didn't, I wasn't really thinking anything negative about it. I was like, this has a really lovely, subtle little stream of humanity that connects, I think, it's every moment. Like, I really appreciated the kind of, um, the way that we're looking at the world kind of through his eyes and we're only, we're not, you know, we're seeing it through his kind of poetic sensibilities, for lack of a better (laughs) word. Let me also say that I generally... Hate poetry? Yes, I do hate poetry and I hate poets and I hate the process of poetry. And uh, when the film first starts and we are watching Adam Driver, who plays this, you know, blue collar bus driver in Patterson, New Jersey, who's named Patterson. Um... And we see him like on the bus and we are we are watching in voiceover and also in scroll that appears on the screen mm-hmm. as he drafts poems. And at first I want to laugh <laughs> at like, I'm like, oh, is this a movie now? <laughs> is a movie just Adam Driver sitting on a bus writing poems in voiceover? All right. I guess I'm watching that movie. <laughs> Said we'd review it. Um but like, but it kind of it, it it won me over. It really charmed me. I thought it had a real sweetness and a real humanity to it. And I think that his his performance was um, 
Yeah, it's it's a much less showy, big performance that we're used to seeing from mm-hmm. him. Because when he sort of like came out of the gate after Girls and first started to like book movies, in every movie he was just like just chewing scenery and making such a big character. And he also is physically big. And he's physically very uh, large. Which usually comes across in on camera, but mm-hmm. not here as well. He's also physically subdued. Right. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, so I think this is, he, he, it's, a lot of people describe it as his best performance yet. I think that's probably accurate. Um, you know, I think that it is, uh, it's a performance that the movie needs from him to play this character, to play Mm -hmm. this poet. And he also plays a poet in a way, Adam Driver has a certain blunt honesty about him just Mm -hmm. as an actor that I think is what saves it from getting into like a pretentious territory where you, where, you know, you're not going to catch him making like wistful eyes. <laughs> like he's able to do it in a way that you don't want to punch him in the face, which is Agreed. no small feat for a movie about a poet. Right. A poet bus driver. Yeah, exactly. Who's trying to like, you know, string these words together. And also I appreciate it just as a writer. I appreciate the way it takes you inside of like word choice. Because he's not just like reciting this. It's not like lemonade or poetic justice. He's not just reciting previously written poems. I mean, he is ultimately in the, the day, but it's written so that he's kind of drafting. Like we'll see him kind of like sort of niggle over a poem over over a period of days. I'm going to note that you called out lemonade and poetic justice in this podcast. Go ahead. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Um, are you going to use right. that against me later? I might. <laughs> Why? We I'm just know. using examples of poetry. Okay, go ahead. Um, you know, because like Lemonade and, and Poetic Justice, the first two things that came to mind is things that kind of lean very heavily on their stars reciting poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and this does too, but, you know, and it's not poetry that Adam Driver himself has written. It was poetry that was written for the film. Mm-hmm. But we're inside the, the drafting process. We're like, we're basically in his mind as like a writer, as a creative person. And I think that Patterson is is just a really unexpected portrait of like the artist's life, the life of the mind, the creative life. And it's told from a point of view we don't often hear that from, which is from just like this totally blue collar dude, but not any of those kind of like, but nothing in like an on the nose blue collar thing. He's not like crushing beer cans. He's not like, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. there's just that, that, that's where the Adam Driver-ness mm-hmm. comes in and really saves the character by kind of, you know, saves him from any of the obvious places that the character could have gone. I couldn't agree more with this, this statement. And, and it gives you a character that you can watch and uh, without, yeah, one punch in the face, like I said earlier. It could, it is inches away from punching in the face territory. Yes. And he saves it every time. He really does. Um, a lot of this movie is about patterns he reoccurring themes uh happen to him uh he seems to see things that uh are very similar there's a there's a running thread of twins that you see throughout the movie mm, mm-hmm. both of the kids from moonrise kingdom are on on the bus oh yeah Isn't was that, that who they, is that who they were yeah i had it no idea the, the the boy and the girl from uh, moonrise kingdom i had no uh, idea so i, feel I, like, I recognized the girl i didn't recognize the boy i'm like another girl from somewhere um and that's and i like those scenes in general i liked him just like eavesdropping on the passengers on the bus yeah i i thought that was cool i i thought that the other than those two i thought the acting was a little strange it seemed a little stagey to me oh really um those those parts but um but yeah they, they sort of heavily double down on this idea of patterns he also he's dating or married to a woman married to. uh who creates <clears throat> who's an artist and yeah. only creates art with patterns in it mm-hmm. and so constantly visually you're seeing patterns his, they constantly refer to him, his bus line, the town is Patterson. Patterson, um, and then you're seeing these like these twins right. happen. These sort of the, the, right. The re- so there's like duality. You could say there's duality because also right down to him being named Patterson and him living in Patterson. 
Right. I mean, I would I would just call it like really obvious noting of 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 these patterns you're supposed to note in the world. If you like stop being so uh, if you stop living so much and start noticing, mm. you'll see all these patterns. The drawing connections. Yeah. Um, same thing with like he visits his bar every night and you see mm-hmm. sort of the same things uh, occur. Yeah. And like we have it's a, it's a kind of movie that tells you what day. Like so every day it starts off with him in bed next to his wife mm-hmm. and says so like Monday, Tuesday. And so, yeah, so, and then he repeats that, the daily routine, the daily pattern. Yeah. There were some dog reaction shots in this movie, which I didn't really care for, I must say. Really? Not into this dog. Are you kidding? Mm, No, I'm serious. I can't believe it. Why? Is it, do you just not like English, or the English bulldog? Is that what it is? Yeah. What's wrong with it? Do you not like English bulldogs in general? I mean, I guess not. I don't know. Wow. I just, this dog really tries to steal some scenes, but um, I, I, mean, I wasn't feeling they it. They were stolen handily from me. I was happy to really? let... Oh, my God. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I'm a real sucker for an English bulldog. And uh, so, yeah, so be. Adam Driver and his wife, who's played by Golshifta Farahani, um, in a performance that I think... Just a brief sidebar on this. She does a lot of the heavy lifting in making the relationship believable. Because he is so kind of um, remote, um, and she is so full of just like passion and warmth, and so in some ways you could say that maybe she's playing into some sort of like female archetype. Yeah. So um, and yeah. she does a lot of cooking. Um, she does a lot of cooking. cooking. She does a lot of like you know like sort of like she makes drapes. She doesn't really do any working. Well, she she's like well she works, but I mean she's had like a DIY kind of you know she she makes money making things herself and going and selling them. So I'm gonna say this was the hardest part of the movie for me to swallow was that okay. I felt like she was just there. She constantly does nothing but support him, compliment him. She kind of has these like flights of fancy of interest that she's, it seems like a pattern that she falls in and out of. She seems to be really good at all of them, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. Um, but her seems, her substance is just like to be um, kind of a muse and to be beautiful. And the the really kind of caps it at this one scene. And I always hate when you see this in movies where like a, a man is like sitting on a chair or a couch and then the woman like sits like on, like kneels on the floor next to him and kind of like lays on his lap. I mm-hmm. hate that. I've nev- never seen that in person. I've never seen anybody actually do that. And I feel like that really like sets up. I mean, again, Adam Driver not being terrible is awesome because he doesn't mm. seem like he's taking advantage of the situation at right. all. But it's very like, oh, she wants to do this hobby. Does he have the money to support this like crazy hobby she has? Hmm. So I felt like it, it wasn't a very strong female character at all. Interesting. Well, I guess when I say she does the heavy lifting to make the relationship believable, I mean from an emotional perspective. Like she, as far as keeping them interested in each other, yes, yeah, yeah like, I agree. like you buy the emotional connection between them. Mm-hmm. Like she goes, meets him more than halfway in creating a, a, an authentic sort of emotional romantic mm-hmm. pull between them. Agreed. Um, and so you're never thinking like, why is this couple together? Uh, like the way she plays it, she's just head over heels in love with him, right? Yeah. And uh, which was yeah. nice to see because I didn't, I, I just, I didn't think that it was overdone. I thought that like she just played it very, very convincingly. Mm. And so, you know, you're just buying, you're like, okay, I'm just watching the story about this kind of like vaguely kind of bohemian working class couple um, that, you know, I don't you know need a lot of money if they're, you know, just like living in some apartment in Patterson or a house. They have a little house in Patterson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just the two of them and their English bulldog, which I do think was adorable and kept making <laughs> little grunts and snuffles. And I just couldn't handle myself. Um, wow. Lots of adorable scenes. I'm driver walking to the bar. This is um, like that chicken in Moana. It is. Yeah, I can't so, get your uh, type at all. I know. I guess our animal types are just really just diametrically opposed because 
I, I, I find I, I was charmed, charmed endlessly by watching Adam Driver try to have like little back and forth with an English bulldog. Hmm. It turns out that that's, that's what I'm into. I found my kink. <laughs> it is that. Uh, so, but no, I do agree that I was watching her character thinking like, oh, I wish she had like something more, like some kind of conflict or some kind of complexity to her. Cause yeah. she was just a be just a beacon of light and warmth and femininity. The movie has no conflict. Yeah. I guess you could say that in that sense, she is just in keeping with the rest of the movie. Cause it's not a movie that it's not your conventional kind of story mm-hmm. structure. Um, you know, it really is just, I mean, it has like some things that happen that are good, some things that happen that are bad. It's really just, it does take place over a week. Is that what I it was? I think it's like a week, yeah. And so we're just kind of like following this guy around for a week while he's like trying to write some poems and and he's trying to create and his wife is trying to create and they're just trying to see the world and, and exist in it in an artistic space. And and I guess I mean, that was that was enough for me. That was enough to keep me obviously not fully engaged because I <laughs> caught up on a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of correspondence I'd fallen behind on that I caught up on while I was watching Patterson. If you got a text from me today, it was probably while I was watching Patterson. <laughs> um, but, uh, but I mean, th- there was just like this consistently pleasant stream of humanity that just ran through it. And, you know, there are these kind of characters that you'll like see at the bar. Like there's this, this couple that's always kind of bickering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and this bartender who's kind of a, you know, a larger than life kind of figure. And, and I don't know, I was just kind of like, I was charmed by it all. Like it's all incredibly, incredibly understated. And I would again stress that if you're interested in this movie, that you should see it in a theater. Um, because <laughs> otherwise I feel like you are going to be very distracted. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't ultimately be super mad at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did spend most of the movie hoping he would just catch on fire. Um, I, I didn't hate it, but I, like, you know, like you said, if, if it sounds like a good time to you to watch a poet bus driver, <laughs> like, you know, the noble blue collar man with like a, you know, a bit of an artistic interest and a creative mind have a week where nothing really happens. This movie is for you. Interesting from Jim Jarmusch. I feel like it's a lot more. It's a lot less weird than a lot of Jarmusch. Yeah, I feel like Jarmusch, it's sort of the same thing about like what, like a how does a creative mind work and like all those like little conversations. Sure, I, I guess I just feel like Jarmusch normally has like a somewhat more like either eccentric or hipster streak mm. running through mm-hmm. his work, and this is really not that. Yeah, um, this is this is one of the most sort of like plain spoken, simple um, stories that he's told. It's, it's not especially stylized. Like his last movie, well, he made Gimme Danger, the Iggy Pop. Right, just that was the last one. But like Only Lovers Left Alive was what he did oh, before right, that. Yeah. And that was incredibly stylized. So this is definitely, um, yeah, just a very kind of like, it's as, it's as plain spoken and humble and modest as its leading man. I feel like it's one of those, maybe if you're really into poetry, this is like your uh, field of dreams. Um, or what's the Woody Allen one with the, uh, where he goes, the um, he goes back in time. Zelig. No, no. Uh, Midnight in Paris. Yeah, Midnight yeah. in Paris is for like, um, you know, hipster <laughs> wannabe authors and artists. So cynical, this one. Just calls them how I see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, that's a good thing. If you're really into poetry and you, you're like, oh my God, that's a Frank O'Hara book on his nightstand. Yeah, you're, and if you're really into poetry. It made me want to burn all the poetry I have in my house. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm that asshole. <laughs> 
It's like, yes, I do have a picture of so, Dante somewhere. Interesting. So La La Land made you go deep into your jazz phase. I only and have this movie made you reject poetry. Yeah. at a time. Mm. And then it either shows me that I should reinforce it or it makes me hate myself. Sorry, Patterson. You were in the wrong place in line on this wrong one. Wrong time. I'm really into Japanese jazz right now. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. You're only one kind of awful at a time. Come on. There's so much of me to go around. Oh. Patterson is out now. And it's... What? Oh, wait. Yeah, what are you going to give it? I'll give it a consume in moderation. Maybe a consume minus. Okay. Yeah, I would say consume. Maybe almost consume plus. Like, I almost kind of want to watch it again and give it my fuller attention. I can't Um, imagine feeling like I'm going to live that long that I have that much time to spend. (laughs) There's so many movies I haven't seen. There's no way I would go back and see this again. So this is a life is too short type moment for you. This is life is too short for this very meticulous mess. Mm-hmm. Um, so Patterson is out now and it's rated R for some language and that brings us to our last movie which is our pick of the week Julieta pick of the week pick of the week pick 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 is the pick of the week after a casual encounter a broken hearted woman decides to confront her life and the most important events about her estranged daughter so we have no trailer for this one because it is a Spanish language film um, this is the newest film by Pedro Almodovar, which we say differently, and we're just going to leave it that way. There's an accent over a letter for a reason. Almodovar. Almodovar. <laughs> no! The accent's not over the first O. It's over the second one. Almodovar? There it is. Mm. And I will say, I learned that. This is going to sound douchey. I learned that from Antonio Banderas himself. God, I just when I think I can't hate you anymore, <laughs> you really bring out. But the... it, but it's in in a non glamorous setting. It was a round table for Puss in Boots. You see, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was him and Salma Hayek, and uh, and it was uh, it was a, a, a well. So funny thing, the skin I live in, which is the film Almodovar made, I believe, two films before this one. Um, had also just come out. And so I asked the question, I was like, so, you know, Antonio, you have Puss in Boots and also out right now, you have the skin I live in. And I'm like, are there any maybe like unexpected parallels between these two characters you're playing? And um, and, and Sama, I'm not going to do it. I mean, I really want to. Um, Every other time I've told the story, I've done an accent, but I will not. And uh, and Sama was just like, oh, that's interesting. And Antonio was like, <laughs> no. And she was like, what? And he's just like, no, they are too different. They are too different. Uh, and uh, and that's she's boots. and she's like, you know, maybe you know they both wear boots. Uh, you know, she and he's like, nope, they are for different people, and they are different films, and they should be discussed separately. And she's like, maybe they both like fish. And uh, and he's like, no. And he just would not have the question. He would was not, he mad at you? He wasn't mad. He was just being um, Antonio Banderas. Um, we all know what that means. Mm-hmm, yeah, that's a coded reference um, to an ethnic behavior. <laughs> and <laughs> correction i can't hate you more <laughs> there's that behavior update um so uh anyway so and i was waiting for him to say it because i was never sure how it was pronounced and you know and mostly he would just call it pedal um but occasionally he would say you know Amadova. and i was like ah there it is so anyway it's Amadovar. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, and now he has a new film, Julieta, which is nothing like the skin I live in no. at 
all. But very much like Puss in Boots. But very surprisingly, lots of overlap with Puss in Boots, as it turns out, which I did not expect and was a pleasant surprise for me. Uh, So, (laughs) Rebecca needs a minute. Go on. Okay. Um, So, Julieta is a return to the sort of what what are more commonly known as women's picture melodramas that um, Almodovar kind of transitioned into in the mid-late 90s. Mm -hmm. After making his name for these very sort of like vivid, um, delightfully obscene, farcical uh, comedies, Mm -hmm. um, you know, that earned him comparisons to like, oh, he's the John Waters of Spain and things like that because he, you know... John Aguas. (laughs) No. And that's the beginning of the end of the Spanish Rebecca knows. (laughs) Juan Aguas. <laughs> Look, I'm, I sign up for Duolingo for my 2017, and I will tell you, you're I'm like, getting there. You're like, because he tends to cast drag reinas. <laughs> Las drag reinas. Las, Las drag. reinas de drag. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Uh, so anyway, yeah, so he'd done all these comedies and, you know, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Time Me Up, Time Me Down, etc., etc. Then in the late 90s, he started to transition through films like The Flower of My Secret. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of reached his his sort of second, his first masterpiece was Women on the Verge, or at least generally acknowledged as mm-hmm. sort of his breakthrough international masterpiece. And then he did All About My Mother. Which is actually playing tonight at the Alamo Draft House. Oh, yeah. And they're doing an Almodovar series. Mm-hmm. Um, and All About My Mother is is one of the best films ever made. I think. Ever made. And um, and that kind of, um, you know, signaled a new period of his career where he was focusing more on these kind of melodramas. And then he made, like, Bad Education. He made Volver, mm-hmm. another great film, Broken Embraces. Then he kind of had this weird, like, you know, I guess he was getting bored with that. So he just kind of decided to mix it up. And, uh, <laughs> and he made The Skin I Live In, which was absolutely perverted body horror mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then he made i'm so excited which was this kind of misbegotten attempt to get back to like his his glory days of like campy farcical comedy um now he's back he's back in like just exquisite lush sumptuous melodrama mode um with julieta which is based on three stories by alice monroe mm-hmm. from a collection that she wrote called runaway and there were three stories that happened to all involve a character named Juliet. And um, and I guess they're the only three stories in the book that are about this character. And he was reading one of the stories and it really sparked him. And then he just kind of read the other ones and decided to make this whole uh, kind of borrowing from some of the book and then a lot of inventing it and to combine them into this one narrative film. Originally intended to be his English language debut. Yeah, he was going to actually make it in Canada. Starring Meryl Streep. That moment when you know you've both read the same New Yorker article. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to quick guess here. I actually Um, didn't read the New Yorker one. Oh, really? Um, Not yet. I have it open my tabs. Um, (laughs) But no. uh, But yeah, that he was... So, you know, so we're both speaking from a base of knowledge on this subject. Uh, Take it from here, Rebecca. How's the rest of it go? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You're baiting me. You're like, uh, Christine Lubbock. Oh! (laughs) Uh, 
So uh, Meryl Streep was going to play the lead, and it was going to be this huge event. Pedro makes his first English language film. And then he said, I don't feel comfortable enough with English yeah. to be able to direct this correctly. Yeah. And it didn't happen. So he brought it, it back to Spain. Happen. He felt the pull. He felt the, I believe I saw one thing described as the umbilical pull back to Spain. Mother Spain. And um, Which I, I mean, I, I'm fine. I love the fact that it's in oh, Spain. Yeah. I love. No, it's in Madrid. And I can't imagine how you would make Ottawa look quite as interesting it'd be tough and also just has you he know, ever used gray or light brown in any of his movies not that i can think of uh-uh. not the top of my head no um only in his closing credits but you know and he also i was reading an interview where he talked about and i don't know if he said this in the new yorker thing a huge part of the story for him in terms of the emotional arc was guilt mm-hmm. and the guilt <clears throat> that this uh this mother so the story is about uh so the funny thing is about the uh the summary that you read is saying after a casual encounter, it may sound like she had like she like got fucked one night, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then she went on this journey. That's not the kind of casual encounter that it is. Um, so the story, like a lot of his stories, is told in a kind of mystery tease of like what happened. That's something that he really loves mm-hmm. in a melodrama that is not always part of a melodrama, but I guess it kind of gets back to the origins of this as a genre, kind of splintering off from film noir in like American film history. Right. Having a bit of that mystery. Yeah. yeah, Having still something like a puzzle to solve. And um, so all we know we're starting the film is that. Which the musical cues definitely lean heavily into. into like Hitchcock. Yes. Oh, I love the score. Sometimes it was a little misleading. There were some that felt like it could have been like, uh, as my wife noted, she was like, is this a chase scene? I was like, no, (laughs) no, it's just two women talking still. (laughs) <laughs> well, it could be an emotional chase scene. Well, you see, be. Pedro sees more in human talking. He just sees more in it. He sees more more dynamics at work. And I want you to continue uh, with the, I'm going to, the to, story the, before okay. I continue okay. interrupting you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I will continue. Okay. I will continue to mansplain to you what Pedro sees about women that you don't. Please do. <laughs> I like to call it the gay male gaze. <laughs> yes, Pedro is an architect of the gay male gaze. He really is. He is one of the founding um, um, daddies. I would say fathers, but. We're talking about the gays. Uh, well, as far as we know, we're just watching the story about this sort of like this this beautiful middle-aged woman living in Madrid who's getting ready to run off with this man and uh, start a new life together. But then she runs into a young woman who had been a friend of her daughter's out in public. And this shakes her so profoundly that she drops everything, calls off the move, calls off the relationship, and abruptly just takes an old apartment in an area she used to live in and just stays there. Because as we find out, she has been long estranged from her daughter. And so all she can think to do now that she knows that her daughter is is out there is to just go back to where she lived when her daughter mm-hmm. was still talking to her and to just wait. And while she's waiting, she writes basically a long letter um, to her daughter telling her the whole story of basically how she met the girl's father, how the girl was conceived, and these all the details that led up to the sort of tragic moment where their lives forked away from each other mm-hmm. and um it's just it's just so pedro in his wheelhouse mm-hmm. um so like I, I think any pedro fan of this film will just feel like that luxurious kind of bubble bath vibe from watching it Right from the very beginning when you just like, you know, you have like that score come in and we're watching these sort of like red sheets mm, kind yes. of undulate. Uh-huh. And it's just like, oh, he's going to do it. He's going to do what he's so good at. And and he does. He does do what he's so good at. Um, he doesn't 
reinvent it uh, by no. by much of a stretch. I think it is interesting. He's done literary adaptations before, and I do applaud as an adapted screenplay that he took these three short stories by Alice Munro and turned them into this narrative feature. Um, but it is still very, it's familiar. It's familiar mm-hmm. ground for him. And I, I find that very comforting. I mean, this took me back between this and things to come when I was talking about like mm. movies that feel so comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, it just reminds me of like that time in like the late 90s, early 2000s when, I don't know, there was this, I don't know, sense of curiosity um, about learning about new film and, you know, kind of just becoming, for me personally, mm-hmm. um, becoming young adult. And I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, all those all those familiar comforting things from, you know, first and foremost, his use of color is always just so exquisite and so rapturous. And you're mm-hmm. just like, ah, oh, just want to bathe in these colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he makes use of color everywhere from everywhere. from the wardrobe to the makeup, to the hair, to the paintings on the wall, to the furniture, to the to the, to the walls themselves, the floors, the ceilings, the trees, the sky, the sea. And they're not without meeting like there, you know, there are points in this movie where things are very confusing and. Uh, you know, tragedy strikes and, and everything for that those moments are blue. Mm-hmm. And then there's a character who kind of like has a um, an air of bad will about them and they dress only in black. So mm-hmm. it's not, you know, very obvious, yes. but it definitely... Um, and that character is played by played Rossi by... De Palma. Uh, long it's been time, a while. Long time Almodovar muse, mm-hmm. um, who was one of the great muses of the fashion world as well as the film world. Because of him, right? Um, yeah, I, I mean, like, she was certainly associated with him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, she is in the George Michael Too Funky video. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yep, she's in there. Um, so, and she uh, is playing a crone. <laughs> and <laughs> it's a very funny character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it feels almost like, not to confuse you with, with throwing this name out there again, but it feels like Rebecca. <laughs> Uh, oh but, yes, yes absolutely yeah I've, i said that as well when we yeah. finished it reminded me of rebecca yeah so she's this kind of yeah this kind of um woman know, of the house yeah sort of like yeah spinster governess of the mm-hmm. house but much 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 smaller house and much smaller house and with equal amount of meddling yes lots of meddling lots of like prior knowledge mm-hmm. um that she wants to impart to the new bride mm-hmm. with you know sort of like a, a shake of the finger uh so rossi de palma is there holding it down for the old school um, we have two different actresses playing Julieta, one mm-hmm. um, sort of 25 to maybe 40 and one 40 and beyond. And um, they're both so fantastic. Mm-hmm. The the um, the younger actress, I believe, is named Adriana Rogarte, and she is a stunner um, and also wonderful. Emma Suarez plays the elder Julieta, also mm-hmm. wonderful. And the film has a very magical way of transitioning oh, the, yeah. the uh the actresses mm-hmm. at a midway point um that is just it just makes you go like Ooh! <laughs> like, it's sort of like it's like a poignant moment but like as it's happening you like, can't help but get like oh he did it he pulled up a cool mm-hmm. little thing uh so that was enjoyable as well it's a it's an interesting movie about relationships right um relationships she has a relationship with her mother um julieta does and then relation her relationship with her daughter um, communication, how you go through loss, depending on each other, um, and and just like the obstacles that can come from that, from needing to lean on each other, um, sometimes to a point that becomes mm. smothering. But I I feel like the twist in this movie, which I don't think we've sort of spoiled it all yet, was really unseen and mm. was was great. I I, I loved it. I loved yeah. that. You know that that 
that feeling you get when you haven't been like surprised in a long time and you're just like oh i forgot yeah. that something can do that yeah and it's a film that's it's a satisfying film mm -hmm. in which even though it actually it ends it ends in a very it ends open sort of in a way that is some might say is too open-ended mm -hmm. uh, or abrupt but it ends with like the things that we need to have happen have happened mm -hmm. and we don't need to see you don't this have to tie it up with moment. a bow exactly exactly no. Uh, it ends like I still like sort of just like floated out of the theater, mm -hmm. um, you know, just very contented and blissful from um, from what had happened. And uh, and, you know, so, yeah, everybody's fantastic. Everything looks amazing. Um, you were saying something that was making me think of something. I can't remember what it is now. I feel like my only criticism of the movie is that, you know. It, oh, I was thinking about my criticisms of the movie. Mm -hmm. We were sort of talking ahead of time about what we were going to rate this. Mm -hmm. And I think that the problem is that it does live in the shadow of All About My Mother, mm -hmm. uh, which is unfortunate because there are a lot of similarities. Um, maternal relationships, you know, beautiful Spain, sort of like going on a, on a hunt for somebody. Mm -hmm. um, so in that way, it, it doesn't work in its favor. But otherwise, sure. if without that comparison, it, yeah. it's really fantastic. It also has some tremendous, tremendous flashback hair and wardrobe. <laughs> We we definitely had a discussion about that at home. The uh, the flashback hair seemed a little much. I loved a it. little much. It reminded me I'm sure of you the hair in. Um, remember whenever like hair salons? I mean, they still have. Oh, them. they do. Yeah, like those, like those, like like the, the airbrush. Yeah, yeah, the portraits on the wall, and also like the haircut catalogs. Yes, and the leaning. It looked like the kind of hair that you would have seen in like 1990, 1989 yeah. in one of those catalogs, and she looks exactly like a model from that era. Yeah. And like with like, you know, what she's wearing in that train scene, which is where we first meet Julieta in this flashback with his amazing hair and amazing these blue tights and oh. It's like the Spanish version of that episode of Black Mirror, San Joaquin. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Oh. Well, also, um, you probably read this in the New Yorker article. Originally, he was going to call the film Silence or Silencio. Um, and then the reason he changed it was because of Scorsese's Silence coming oh. out the same year. Um, but to him. No, the other Spanish Silence. Right. That was with Portuguese, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, it was specifically, he was just like, yeah, Scorsese, yada, 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 so I'm not going to do it. Um, but he uh, he was like, for, for, for Almodovar, this movie is about silence and about silence being this, the thing that is sort of ruining these lives. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when you're, you look at, on the train, uh, mm -hmm. we have this incident where Julieta has a man attempt to speak to her and she is silent to him. And it leads to tragedy that leads to then her then meeting this man uh but then there are just moments throughout and then there's this long silence between her and her daughter that's mm -hmm. gradually killing her and that was what he was saying about why it needed to happen in spain because he was like culturally speaking you know in america in canada you could have a story about like a woman who is like estranged from her mother and it's not the end of the world oh. but but in spain it is the end of the world for the mother. Interesting. She, he's like, every mother in Spain would go mad with grief at having their child leave them. Interesting. Uh, he's like, so that is part of, he's like, that's part of the dimension that I needed that having it set in North America wouldn't give me. And just imagining that in Spain, a mother would go mad. She'd go berserk to, uh, for whatever circumstance, have her daughter removed from her life. She would not be able to move on. Mm -hmm. She would not be able to get past that. 
and and we're seeing this film that like all these years have gone by and she's just getting to the point where maybe she can get past it mm-hmm. and then boom just like that it's back in her life and she just back. drops everything and he's like in Spain this makes sense she has such a big uh, powerful line about that as well like it, like she's like an addict and as mm-hmm. soon as she welcomed that back into her life the possibility mm-hmm. of seeing her daughter again everything else just falls away and she has to chase it yeah um, we'll talk more about you know how do you feel about the, the gay male gaze the gay male gaze and you know the way that Pedro uh, tends to uh, write and direct female characters. I think that it's a it's a little on the extreme side. You know, it, it's sort of similar to drag in that way of like taking these sort of stereotypes and like extreme situations that certain women could be in and highlighting that part of a personality. We could be a particular person's personality and sort of blanketing it over women. Um, you know, oftentimes it's it's situations and and women in periods of their lives that I don't have a lot of experience with. You know, I don't identify with many of his characters, so I'm not just not to say that they're inaccurate, mm-hmm. but they are very. Um, you know, it's drag makeup. It's drag ma- makeup in people's personalities. But that yeah. I mean could also be coming off what you just said a certain sure. Spanish sensibility that yeah. is is different. Yeah, but bigger person. Not that those people don't exist, but it's mm-hmm. you know he tends to highlight those sure. those types I of mean, women. He's drawn to these emotionally rich stories mm-hmm. and characters that are compelling to him, and he wants to which make for great tell movies. their stories, right? And and that that's part of what really struck me about that observation he made about how in Spain this would make more sense because mm-hmm. it's just it's such a good check I think for us as critics because I think we frequently mm-hmm. apply our own understandings to things to be like well in what world would this make sense or mm-hmm. like how is that realistic or oh is this regressive is this backward is this what is this what is that and I think it's just so good to especially with you know with films that take place in different cultures than the ones we live in that like there are these things we wouldn't even know um, right. such as like. You know, he's like, oh, in Spain, it's a no-brainer. Of course, this one would never get over it. Ask any woman in Spain. She'll tell you. That right. would never, you'd never get over that. And I think if you're comparing it to just, you know, like a male director, any other sort of looking like white male director and how they look at women or how they portray women, I think that it's definitely, you know, more understanding. There's still a bit of like a disconnect. You're, you can tell that it's someone who's looking, yeah, at, at women in a particular way and not from fabulous? a woman's. Exactly. From a woman's point of view. Don't so, they? Right. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, so, yeah, so worshipful. So mm-hmm. just like, just just wanting to just ramp that beauty all the way up. Right. Um, you know, I mean, like a lot of gay male directors, you know, mm-hmm. and certainly one who is as influenced by the films of Douglas Sirk. Sure. Um, you know, in old Hollywood. So he just wants to, he loves glamour. He loves beauty. Uh, he just wants to just crank it up. Yeah. I mean, I would say in this movie, you know, maybe it isn't as bad. Like um, Julieta's daughter is pretty plain um Julieta herself you know young Julieta is pretty yeah. snazzy but as she gets older um you know it isn't as overdone as as it can be in certain right movies. yeah there's the, there's no like drag in this movie mm-hmm. I wouldn't say you know it's uh, emotional drag I guess <laughs> emotional drag uh and there is there's a, a suggestion of lesbianism there is yes um and uh so there are flashbacks involving a very close friendship that Julieta's daughter and Tia had mm-hmm. um with a, a another girl that she met at summer camp and there and it's even like the way that they handle this subtext of lesbianism in this relationship is so uh you know it's so throwback because yeah. they never say it mm-hmm. and they never show it and there's like mm-hmm. one line when and the adult version of the friend is like yeah she's like you know we went too far like where we went beyond mm-hmm. you know it just felt like such like a 50s relic type thing and we do get that, like, they're jocks. 
And yeah. like they, he does has cast these two young actresses who have sort of like plainer faces and just like wear their hair in a ponytail and wear like sport clothes. And, you know, so like you can see that they're kind of getting at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's ultimately not really. And, you know, and then when we find out more about the context of what led to this departure from mother and daughter, then you could ask like, okay, well, so was this, was the factor of this friendship in how close it got part of that? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so just in the name of being a gay podcast, we'll call out that there yes. is, there is lesbianism that is sort of somewhat between the lines uh, in this movie. I feel like every movie is sounds, if you were to just listen to it, it sounds like an instructional video on how to speak Spanish. <laughs> Like, it's a very particular kind of Spanish yeah. that um, is very... Well, it's um, definitely that sort of Castilian, yeah. you know, Spanish. And it's always with the España. It is. Uh, so lots of, you know, so it just sounds like a lot of... <laughs> and it's, it's just like the, I don't know, like the the dramatic yeah. reading of and, the lines. And the so, clarity. Yeah. Yeah, the clarity. I mean, it the... made sense when the movie was about voiceover actors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now it's just weird. <laughs> What are you giving this one, Jason? I'm giving it a binge it. I'm a binge it convert as well. At first, I was <laughs> I was consumed plus, but the more I think about how much I enjoyed this, yeah, it's it's, a, it's just it. enjoyable. I think that you know, like there's a certain kind of film that Almodovar can give you that really no one else can give you. Mm-hmm. Um, and as much as he is obviously influenced by other filmmakers, he is the last one really holding the banner for this kind of film today and doing it time and time again and doing mm-hmm. it so beautifully. And it's been a minute since he made this kind of film. And it's a great return to form, I think. Uh, It's out now, and it's rated R for some sexuality and nudity. And that's it. That was the last movie. Um, Last movie, the first show of 2017, the last year of America. (laughs) Get it while it's hot. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Be sure to uh, subscribe. uh, Leave a review, uh, unless it's you, Fun Muffins. (laughs) We've heard what you've had to say. Listen, we will not be lamb blasted by you again. (laughs) We refuse. Um, But you can leave a, a review in the iTunes store. Um, and we're rating um, follow us on Twitter Uh, Jason is at excess baggage I'm at fight balance and uh, thank you so much for listening bye 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 binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason you made it to the end that's amazing there goes the binge. binge